In the time we've spent doing the Seas of Voices podcast, we've spoken to experts on all kinds of different matters concerning climate change and sustainability. These are people from all over the world with vastly different backgrounds, but the work they do contributes greatly to the fight for a more sustainable future. It's a very long fight, which raises the issue of reinforcement. Who will be filling the ranks in the coming decades, and what kind of ideals might they be bringing with them? To get a better understanding of where things might be headed, we reached out to three individuals who could well be on their way to making a major impact. For a perspective from the field, we got in touch with Nicholas Chow. He's a water engineering project manager at UCLA. I worked in ocean sciences, switched from ocean sciences to engineering because I felt like the ocean sciences didn't have enough of a human aspect. I didn't feel like I was helping a lot of people. For a snapshot of the youth mindset, we spoke to Bianca Byfield, a first-year engineering student at Harvard. As I got older, I think I started to realize that I wanted to do something more hands-on. I wanted to apply science to the real world. And for a look at tomorrow's educational approaches, we contacted Cleavon Diego, an electrical engineering lecturer pursuing a master's degree in climate change and sustainability at the University of Technology. I want to form an association whereby I provide students with the possibility of gaining that practical experience in renewable energy, solar panels, installation. So let's take a sneak peek at the next generation of sustainability specialists in this episode of Caesar Voices. Researchers operate on the front lines of the war against climate change. Their intel serves as our first line of defense against its impacts and informs our attempts at slowing things down. We wanted to see what motivates these fascinating individuals. So we got in touch with Nicholas Chow, a water engineering project manager at the Luskin Center for Innovation at UCLA. He's a great example of a young researcher working to help chart the way forward. If you can remember, when in your life did you know that you wanted to be involved in the environmental sciences? There was no single point. I think it was back in high school. I was in Fatima at the time. And I remember thinking that I wanted to do my project in geography on the ocean. And ever since then, it's sort of been a long winding path that I've, I went to school to do ocean sciences. I worked in ocean sciences, switched from ocean sciences to engineering because I felt like the ocean sciences didn't have enough of a human aspect. I didn't feel like I was helping a lot of people. So I thought science plus people, that's engineering. And so I got my degree in engineering and now I work in, in water policy. So I think it was back in high school. Did you want to study abroad initially or, or would you have preferred to study in the Caribbean? You know, to be honest, I think I was, I was having a rough time in my high school in the Caribbean. And so I was eager to study in a different setting. And have you had, since then, any experience at all with the Caribbean institutions? In fact, I have not. I have tried to get back involved with the Caribbean institutions around environmental science, uh, in particular around water, but I haven't had any, many opportunities because I haven't been home for long enough. Okay, so, you, so you've really had your experience um, abroad, really, largely. Yeah. What I would ask then is, what, what do you think, in your experience in these institutions abroad, 
Uh, what do you think Caribbean institutions can learn, just in terms of supporting young researchers like yourself? I think, I think it's a good question, an important question to ask for young researchers anywhere in the Caribbean and, and abroad. I, because I haven't spent a lot of time working in the Caribbean, I don't want to say that Caribbean institutions can learn from abroad institutions. I'm sure that the abroad institutions can learn from Caribbean institutions as well. But in my experience, what has been the most important for me in my job in terms of mentoring and guiding me is in, in environmental research is having a boss who is willing to sit with me and talk to me about what my research interests are. I mean, every six months we, we have a discussion on you know, where I'm going in my work and what my research interests are. And I, I translate that to the graduate students that I mentor. Every six months I sit with them and I say, okay, what do you want to do? How is the work that I'm asking you to do helping you to achieve your own goals? And how do we get you there? And so for me, that was working in water. It was feeling like I was helping people um, in communities, really working with communities and maybe going on to do a PhD. And I think my boss has helped me try to achieve all of those things. I just realized, I don't know why it didn't strike me before, that you would be dealing with um, environmental uh, students, I guess, uh, people trying yeah. to study in the field. Um, how long now have you had to teach others, would you say, like others coming up in the field? For, for how many years, I guess? Yeah, I think I have been, I wouldn't say mentoring, but I've been working with graduate students for the last four years. I also teach a couple of classes here at UCLA, just a couple of lectures. And I think it's been really fantastic. I mean, across those four years, meeting and working with a lot of different students, doing, doing work in some cases, but also just teaching classes and you know, sort of grading homework and that, that sort of stuff. Would you say that there are a lot of like, like kids, for instance, who seem to show an interest? Are there a lot of students coming into that field, do you find? I would say yes, but again, I'm in the, in the American setting, in the abroad setting, and I think there are a lot of, a lot of students that showed interest in environmental engineering, environmental policy, things that are really trying to help communities out related to the environment, things like water, air quality, transportation, electrification right. of vehicles. I'm seeing a lot of interest in those areas, but with everything that's happening in the U.S., we've been discussing it. There is a racial imbalance in what we see in, in terms of incoming students and students that have an interest in this. And so I, I mention that only because I think that I see a lot of people who are interested, but I don't always see a lot of people that are like us. Okay, noted, noted. Um, you've been working in the field yourself. What would you say is uh, the biggest challenge um, that you've been tackling as an environmental scientist? That's a great question. Um, it's a hard one. I mean, I feel like climate change is one, the economic impact of COVID is another. But to be honest, I think that the biggest challenge that I face isn't from scientists or from the existing science or what are the hard questions. We can always get the questions answered to the best of our ability, but given the tools and the funding and the time. But I think the biggest challenge is really helping communities to understand uh, some of these climate change impacts or the policies that we implement. I mean, to tell you a short story here, I, I got in a, a taxi with a taxi driver who was telling me that the state of California is going to prevent or limit how much water you can use in your house, which is completely untrue. And 
the, the misinformation that he had received on that totally convinced him, even after I told him that I was on my way on a drive to the mayor's office to discuss that exact subject as a water expert. And he, he insisted that the, that the state of California was going to control everyone's water. And it's that kind of disinformation I think is probably going to be the hardest to combat moving into the future, making sure that everyone's on the same page with the science, everyone understands the policy and they agree with it. The amount of information out there, we need to be really even more careful, clear and concise when we communicate with our communities. I mean, in Caribbean, we have no disillusions about what it means to have a hurricane. But over here, you talk about a hurricane, people don't understand what that means. And so being able to communicate with them on an emotional level, what the impacts of climate change are, I think is an important piece. Do you think then that there might be some value to students who are coming out with a background in media and that there might be some intersect there, I suppose? Absolutely. I, maybe I'm slightly biased because I have background engineering, but I think that the, the engineering technical skills are something that you can teach. And so given enough time and given dedication on the student side, it's math. It's, it's practices that, right. uh, it's best practices that you can teach and you can learn over time. But media and communications, I think, to understand how different people communicate, how they receive information, what else is happening constantly around you while they're receiving information right. because that yes. changes how you intake information. Learning all those skills, the media and communication skills, it takes a much longer time. It, you're lucky to have someone who has both. Is there anything burning that you want to share about your work, about you know, a message you think our listeners need? You know, I... I can't think of anything. I mean, the, the personal thing that I wanted to share on is that I am always trying to find ways to help in the Caribbean and trying to help find ways to help in communities that I know and with people that I know. You know, when I left Trinidad, I, I kind of had the perspective of if I go away and get technical skills away, it's going to train me up very well for all the problems that we have in Trinidad, but it, it didn't. The technical skills that I have and learning abroad in California, they just don't apply. They don't apply. California has a problem with water scarcity. In Trinidad, we have a problem with too much water, too much flooding, too much rain and storm water coming down with the garbage clogging up the drains. We need people that are being trained on the problems in Trinidad because those are the people that have the most experience with those problems. The schools in Trinidad are best equipped to help you to train you in things for helping people at home. We are in Genova, Italy protesting against climate change because politicians today are not willing to do enough about it. So we're taken to the streets to fight for our futures and for those who are suffering from the consequences of climate change today. Yeah, I think this is the most important issue that we need to be talking about. You've got no idea why we're striking. Then, like, what on earth? You must be utter idiots if you're wondering why we're striking. Many of us fail to see the tremendous pressure being placed on the next generation, whom we're pretty much forcing to bear the growing weight of the mistakes we continue to make. Through organized protests, youth activists like Greta Thunberg have been demanding we change our destructive behavior, and they're not backing down, even in the face of COVID-19. The Swedish teen called on fellow climate activists to move their weekly rallies online due to the coronavirus. Thunberg, founder of the Fridays for Future movement, 
earlier this week urged young people on Twitter to join a digital strike by posting photos of themselves online and using hashtags such as climate strike online. Thunberg wrote, quote, We'll have to find new ways to create public awareness and advocate for change that don't involve too big crowds. As a growing number of countries are banning large public gatherings in an effort to curb the spread of the virus. It's extremely important for young people to keep pressuring world leaders to do more. But as our first guest just showed us, some are taking things even further by pursuing careers that can position them to meet the problem head on. 18-year-old Bianca Byfield is one such individual. I don't really know when I first encountered um, these concepts of climate change and renewable energy. I've always been super interested in science, and I took a really early interest in space. I would say that was around second grade. And I had a lot of books about the solar system and our planets. And that interest in space kind of led me to books specifically about the Earth. And I, start, I began learning about the importance of the Earth and its atmosphere and how our atmosphere and climate are so important to our sustained life. So that's kind of how I first got introduced to the climate. I would say in terms of renewable energy, I would say it was around six or seventh grade maybe, I read The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind by William Kamkwamba. That book is about William, who is from Malawi, and he created a windmill using scraps and random parts that he found. I guess it was the first time I really thought about the technicalities of renewable energy, like how one would specifically go about harnessing the wind to create power. I would say even though he did not specifically build the windmill for renewable energy or environmental purposes, it was one of the first times where I started to think about renewable energy on a global scale and how renewable energy can be used to help everyone. Because I think at that point, I was still very much, um, you know, I was a kid. So I was thinking more about, you know, the U.S. specifically. But I think reading that book really helped me realize that this is a global issue. When we caught up with Bianca, she just completed her first year at Harvard where she's majoring in mechanical engineering and minoring in environmental science and public policy. We sat down with her to find out what made her decide to follow her current path. I have always been really interested in science, just from when I was little. Um, So I kind of always knew I wanted to be doing something in science, something in STEM. But as I got older, I think I started to realize that I wanted to do something more hands-on I wanted to apply science to the real world. And that's when I started to learn more about engineering and engineers. And I came into Harvard actually thinking about being a chemical engineer, but I really like how broad mechanical engineering is and that it covers like a broad spectrum of um, disciplines. And I can work with a lot of really cool people from a lot of really cool fields. So I'm excited. In the earlier days, like when you were in prep and high school, uh, were there any, like, was it covered in class? Did you, did you guys ever touch on things like climate change, sustainability, environmental sciences? It was not, like, specifically environmental-related, like, issues were not specifically covered in class. It would come up occasionally. I was able to take advanced placement chemistry, so there's sometimes where we were talking about chemicals in the environment, but I don't remember talking about the environment, not in a formal sense. I took a class 
um, called Economics and Public Policy. In that class, that's when I started to get introduced to more um, the public policy side of things and policy making, which is why I am planning to get a secondary in environmental science and public policy. I think that class really opened up my eyes to not only the technical side of things, but also the political side of things. Cool. And um, do you know now, because I know, I know it can be also early to tell, but do you already have something in mind for when you've finished with school? Like, do you know what, you, what you're trying to do exactly? Um, I'm not 100% sure as of right now. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about doing a master's in material science because I want to, um, I've always been kind of interested in plastics and how plastics affect us and how we use plastics. So I've always been interested in maybe doing a master's in material science, but I would say now I'm starting to look at also other environmental issues such as more specifically like climate change right. um, because recently I've just kind of more understood the magnitude that climate change specifically um, has on our, on our earth and our future. So I'm planning to be somewhere within the intersection of engineering and environmental issues, but specifically I'm not sure yet. What do you see as the biggest challenge facing us right now or the biggest thing going forward? Is it, is it plastics, for instance? I think our biggest problem right now is that we could be doing more in order to try and prevent issues in the future. Because one thing that I do know with my limited knowledge as of right now is that every day that we're not taking action is another day that this issue is getting worse. So I think I'm not quite sure about the specifics of which issue is the biggest issue and which one is the one that we should be focusing on. But I, what I figure is that we need to be making steps towards something, towards some positive change. Bianca was born and raised in the United States. But with parents from Jamaica and grandparents still living there, she hasn't forgotten about her Caribbean roots. I know that I need to do more to educate myself about the specific issues going on there because one of the hard parts about um, this climate change issue and environmental issues is that while it's worldwide, they affect different places in different ways. So, I mean, I would love to do some type of work or internship or something down there just so I can further educate myself on like the specific issues to the Caribbean. In episode two of Caesar Voices, SolarBuzz CEO Jason Robinson highlighted an important issue with local academic institutions in regards to the renewable energy sector. Where I see a major disconnect is that what's being taught, I think, in the universities in renewable energy programs is really not what a company like SolarBuzz is looking for when we hire solar system designers. If you wanted to come and work at SolarBuzz right now, and I even have an ad on CaribbeanJobs.com looking for a solar system designer, and you are a graduate from the renewable energy program, you really couldn't come in and 
and do what we need you to do. You would need to combine that with some electrical engineering to really jump into a company like myself, get a decent salary and start making a difference to work your way up. You need to know how power works, how to design solar systems, how to use interval data from JPS meters, how to use logging data. That stuff is the core of the solar industry if you want to do things properly. So I think what needs to be done in academia is more real world interaction with people like myself who are doing the hiring and can kind of advise on the curriculum. With this concern in mind, we got in touch with Cleavon Diego, an electrical engineering lecturer from Belize. Cleavon received his electrical engineering degree in Cuba, and he's currently in Jamaica getting his master's degree in climate change and sustainable energy at the University of Technology. He has just the kind of background that companies like SolarBuzz are looking for, and he's hoping to use his combination of skills to help fill the gap Jason identified. I actually worked in the field for, I would say, two years to three years. After that, um, I went into lecturing at the University of Belize in the Associates Electrical Engineering section. What was it that prompted the shift or the, the want to shift into renewable energy or rather into climate change and sustainable energy? That specialization section, that's the point you reach whenever you're about to complete the electrical engineering bachelor's degree in Cuba, whereby you are specialized in the industrial subjects and topics. From that point, knowing that it is actually an industry that um, has contributions to greenhouse gas emissions, after realizing that there can be a better solution and I can actually cooperate in that solution to distribute cleaner energy, that's where I um, became inspired. When you were inspired in that way and you decided to make that shift, um, I'm, I guess you would have looked around. Did you know of many um, courses like that across the Caribbean? Because I see that you're at UTEC here in Jamaica, and I, I know that there are some climate change courses at uh, the University of the West Indies as well. Um, did you find any other places across the Caribbean attempting to educate students in this way? Um, Barbados, Dominica Republic, Cuba as well, especially when I got the opportunity to attend conferences at um, Barbados and Dominica Republic. I got to meet um, Jamaicans that actually inspired me, um, Mr. Devon Gardner um, and um, Dr. Ruth Potopsy. That's Dr. Gardner and Dr. Ruth Potopsy. Um, they are basically innovative climate change um, professionals from Jamaica that I met in Barbados and Dominican Republic. And that's where I actually got to understand that there's courses in those Caribbean countries as well. Okay, this is good to know. And um, what made you decide on UTEC or Jamaica in particular? Was it a specific choice or, you know, was it just, you know, looking at the options and, you know, that was one that you chose? I can honestly say that um, I was looking at the options. It was just a driven interest in trying to gain knowledge. Okay, I see what's up. I mean, yeah. and, we could, and we could continue along that path to say, you know, what, what are your plans after this is done? Uh, you know, what do you want to do with uh, this specialization on your experience? I have some plans. I have various plans. 
because of my job, I have a, I have a link with students. Uh, most of the time, students are in a room, are in a theoretical environment, and um, they are being filled with many information. And I always have the inspiration to make sure that that information becomes practical to them. I would want to, um, one of the things that I actually enforce is trying my best to take students to industries so that they can see that practical aspect. So I want to form, I want to form an association whereby I provide students with the possibility of gaining that practical experience in renewable energy, solar panels installation, whereby they can dominate a practical aspect of that part of renewable energy. So they can also um, gain the ability to educate others. I want to make sure that um, I can assist a number of students to fulfill that expectation. You are, you are literally trying to form part of the solution. That's great. Right, right. You know, As we've all been reminded this year, life on our planet is a constant struggle for survival. And the choices we make as a species ultimately determine the level of difficulty involved. Through our greed and neglect, we've created increasingly strenuous living conditions for ourselves and our descendants. But with intelligent, practical-minded persons out there working to develop new approaches to our issues, maybe we can turn things around someday. Anyway, that's all we have for you on this episode of Caesar Voices. We'd like to thank all our guests for taking the time to share their thoughts and ideas with us. Of course, I'd also like to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you've been enjoying our podcast so far, please feel free to give us a rating wherever you're listening. I'd also like to remind you that you can visit our website, caesarjournal.org slash donations to lend your financial support or join our monthly donor club on Patreon and gain exclusive access to special content or even be featured in an episode of the Caesar Voices podcast. Just click the links in the description. And if you'd like to sponsor an episode of Caesar Voices and feature your company or NGO, please click on our corporate link to learn more. 